Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey guys, Willie Geist here with another episode of the Sunday Sit Down Podcast. My thanks as always for clicking and listening along with us. This week, a good one for you Danny DeVito. We got together to talk about the live-action remake of the Disney classic, Dumbo. Going to be a big deal at the box office, and he stars in the film. He talks about making the movie, being a fan of the movie growing up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Fascinating childhood, didn't know what he wanted to do with his life when he graduated high school. His sister said, come work at the beauty salon. So Danny DeVito worked at a salon, he went to beauty school, he did makeup, he did all of it. And that actually helped jumpstart his career and got him into acting. He'll explain that. Then that leap into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was his breakthrough. And then Taxi, of course, the role as Louis De Palma that changed his life. He went from there into movies like Terms of Endearment, Romancing the Stone, War of the Roses, which he directed as well. We also get into his TV career most recently in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. A ton to talk about with Danny DeVito. But I always like to give you guys a little background, a little backdrop of the story. So we conducted this interview at a, essentially an underground bar in New York City where you walk in the front door on street level, you go downstairs, and that's where the bar is. Well, upstairs, this being New York City, they were constructing a new apartment building. We couldn't even get up there to ask them to stop the jackhammering and all the construction. So you will hear it throughout, jackhammering. There was no way to stop it, so we powered through. Thank goodness Danny DeVito is a pro, number one. Number two, he's a director, so he sort of knew when to stop. He knew when to help our production team get, get what they needed out of it. You're going to hear it in the background. I promise we keep going. I promise it's worth hanging in for the conversation. You know what? You do an interview in New York, these are some of the challenges you face. My Sunday sit-down interview with the great Danny DeVito right now on the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Thanks for doing this, Danny. Thank you. I appreciate it's nice it. Nice to be here. Nice to be. I like the environment. I like the whole milieu. Yeah. It's very nice. Sort of a dungeon vibe yeah. of some kind. We're in New York, right? Yes. Yeah. As far as I can Perfect. tell. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk Dumbo. Dumbo. Oh, my gosh. I, it was so much fun doing Dumbo. I watched it uh, this morning. Right, I've got two right. young kids. You've got I, children. All I can think about is how much they're going to oh, love Oh, they're going to eat it up. They love it, yeah. What, what's not to love? I mean, it's like a beautiful thing. Well, you know, for us with uh, parents of kids, my kids are grown. They, they've seen it, and they, they absolutely love it. The, the thing is, uh, the 1941 film that I grew, I grew up with, like um, I saw it when I was like in the 50s, and I was... You know, a kid in, in, in New Jersey, and uh, and the uh, <laughs> I just, just love to welcome to New York. We are in New York. Yes. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> See, this is a director. They're a working thing, on it. They're working the on it. No, they, they, you know, they, they, they're they're going to drill right through the ceiling. <laughs> the you, dust is already falling. Down. It's going to be particles. <laughs> so, like, let's get back to Dumbo. Yes. Okay. So yeah. the idea is that. The values in that movie in the 41, uh, most of them, um, the majority of the, 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 the crux of it, of being, you know, uh, oddball, uh, odd out, Dumbo's born, he's got these big ears, he's ostracized, he's looked at as like a, 
like you know an, an other and, mm. and people make fun of him and everything all the themes of like uh, embracing the the fact that we're all individuals you know and that we've got to take our whatever strengths we have whatever we are and be proud of who we are and all of those things that we want our kids to to realize that we have to you know have them find their own feather that thing that gets yeah. them you know launches them into the confidence that they need in order to navigate this great world that we live in and all those good things given to Tim Burton you know that that thing changes like it just they stay all those values stay but he, he explodes it he's such an artist he's just like an amazing like uh, visual artist I felt like doing the movie uh, I was like I always feel this way with him I'm part of his paint box mm. you know this guy who is in a way Tim is very much like Dumbo you know he is kind of like a guy who always feels uh, I mean we all have that quality you know sure. you, you go through life as a young kid you know you're a teenager and you have some awkward thing or you some some weirdness some shyness you know that you have to overcome you have to embrace you have to understand recognize it you do it with your help with the help from your parents or your friends or you know teachers educators whatever and uh and so tim i i felt like with dumbo he's perfect fit you know for for this this subject matter did you know he'd been thinking about doing this well did he talked to you about it no the thing is we you know we we met at bat on batman returns right. which is also very you know uh and uh, it's always a character that is like kind of an odd uh, creature that has to overcome some, whatever the like the penguin is a bird who can't fly. He's like he he just wants to you know he's almost like Harvey Firestein. I just want to be loved. You know what I mean? He was like a, although he was resentful from the way people treated him. His mother and father threw him in a river. You know that's kind of tough. And, and so. Uh, you know, he Tim has these kinds of uh, oddball things that are going through his mind. He called me about a year, uh, year maybe a couple, couple of years ago now. I was doing uh, the price here in in uh, the roundabout in New York, and um, it almost looked like I wasn't going to be free because my contract was mm. uh, continuing with the play. And I uh, wouldn't leave, leave the play. But then they pushed the movie and it, it turned out really be great. When he called me and said I'm going to do uh, a live action CG uh, movie of Dumbo, I, th I, th I just thought it was a perfect fit. How do you describe the Tim Burton thing, whatever that yeah. is? Because when I see a Tim Burton movie, I yeah. know it's a Tim Burton movie exactly. right away. Well, it's like I, I, I feel like you give a... a, a, a a subject that has substance, that has like pathos and has, uh, you know, caring and uh, like even with like with Edward Scissorhands, uh, you know, this kind of odd character that he loves to explore, and um, his thing is that he is an artist, so he's visual, totally visual. Everything is like when you like when I walk in to talk about the Penguin. What you see is drawings of the penguin. You see what the penguin... I have a painting that I, I glommed from him that when it, the, in the early days. Glommed to people who don't understand that is 
took <laughs> from him in the early days. It's a Jersey term, you understand? I'm with you on and that. Yeah, you know yeah, this Jersey you. boy. Yeah. And so the thing is that it was a painting of the circus stripes, the red and white stripes, and a, a ball, a round ball with a, a little guy sitting on it in a tuxedo looking like Oswald as a kid, mm-hmm. right? Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. as a the penguin as a kid. Right. And, and there was a legend that said, um, my name is Jimmy, but they call me the hideous penguin boy. Mm. And it's a simple kind of thing that when you see that in his office, when I walked in and saw that and the evolution of the penguin, you know, you get so much without even saying a word. He doesn't have to talk to you. You just get what where his head is mm. with with uh, Dumbo uh, you, it's the same thing you you see uh, I did this character basically in Big Fish where I was the circus performer right. and there we had you know the giant and the and the kind of like the giant felt out of place and was needed a friend needed people to be around I was actually a werewolf in that movie but like those those oddities people who don't quite fit into into the world right. that he likes to embrace. And and then, like I say, he just takes it to a level of uh, artistry. I watch him on the set. Like I say, just I would go, you know, hang out because I love watching him. I love watching him work. He'll take a massive soundstage with, with uh, like, say, for instance, in one of the scenes in our, in our Dumbo is... Um, there's all grass. This is like this big field of grass, and it's all real grass. And the the studio is is um, ringed with blue screen, like for like ten feet or twenty feet of blue screen. And then there's a blanket of like silk with lights that have mm. these kinds of uh, LED lights that change color temperature. So I'm giving you this picture that. He'll take these giant circus wagons that were coming off the train car and place them in places around, strategically around that set. And then all the people in the costumes, Colleen Atwood's costumes are just brilliant, and use them as his his palette, you know, his his canvas. So he'll take and move things around and put the camera where, and then change the like setting of the lighting, like whether it's, you know, morning or afternoon or night with these magic lights that you have now today, you can, you can do all this. We shot, I think, I would say 100% of the movie indoors, but you'd never know it. No, you wouldn't watching it. No, it's all in, in five sound stages in, in, uh, in, at Pinewood in London and, uh, and just uh, you know, an amazing studio to work in. It's mm. really an artist's studio. You're right when you describe him as an artist or yeah. almost a painter using exactly. that blank canvas. Yeah, and... it's just like all these elements are That's taken so cool. and used. One of the great things about Dumbo is when my kids go to see it, I won't have to explain to them the story of Dumbo right. because even 80 years later, almost. Yeah, every kid. Everybody's seen it. Has seen it, yes. knows the story, knows the lessons it. of it. But 
for a lot of people, this will be an entirely new. Yeah, this visual. is going to be a new. It's going to be a new experience. It's totally. Um, uh, uh, it's the same values. I think the good values that were in Disney's artist artistic movie that we love, but he's bring brings it into the 21st century. With we changed the story a little bit. There were there, you know Max Medici. I run the circus. It's like a fading circus. We need something to boost us up. I want. I make one good investment, and that is Mrs. Jumbo, who has our the baby, our adorable baby. And then we bring in other elements like which uh, are current, like kind of like uh, situations that would happen now. Uh, capitalizing on my our success of the circus, our family is now thriving because we have Dumbo, and then we kind of maybe want to take it to the next level, which is where the evil Michael Keaton comes yeah, Right. <laughs> which is really great to work with Michael again. Oh, he's great in the we've movie. We've done three movies together. We did uh, Johnny Dangerously, Batman Returns, and now this. And he comes in with just the right... He's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Energy. You Is it true that you, going way, way back, were a fan of Dumbo, like... Oh, in your youth, even oh yeah, back in Asbury Park, really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, Dumbo came out uh, a few years before I was born, and uh, I saw it. I guess when I was in my, I might have been ten or eight or ten. Yeah, my sister. You know, in Asbury, we had five movie theaters. It, un- unbelievable in Mile Square Town down the shore. We had five movie theaters: the Mayfair, the St. James, the Baronet, the Paramount, and uh, and the Lyric and and what would happen was the first one run movies would go to the Mayfair and the St. James and, and then they would move around so you'd always get to see the movies it's a resort town you know Asbury really cool down there down in Jersey and so every once in a while a movie would pop up like would come back to fill their cir- to help them out and right. fill the circuit and whenever Dumbo came back we would go see it now I don't remember like specifically it that experience, but I do remember showing it to my kids who yeah. had three kids. So I've seen it, like, you know, I, 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 I gotta say I've seen it like at least 50 times, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. over the years sure. with all three kids. Right. You know, my son was like into the train and the girls were into the this and the girl, you know, the whole it was like, uh, you know, like, get up in the morning, you know how it is with kids. What are you going to do with them? You know, stick them on a couch, the put them, get them a little food, put them on a couch, pop in the movie, get ready for work, whatever you're doing. You know, like, how's it going over there? Good, good. What's Dumbo doing now? You know, right. he's learning this, his mother is taking him. You know, this is this kind of thing. Even if it's the same movie you saw yesterday, it that works. Oh, no, God. Run it back. That pushes, but I. I've seen the movie now three times, and I can't get through them. I mean, I, you know, and the great thing about it is the way we've deal we've dealt with, uh, you know, the animal uh, uh, situation with the captivity of animals. Yes. You know, our movie we had no we had no live we didn't shoot with any live. We had seven or eight poodles, mm-hmm. which were like Tim had to make you know colored their little poodle hair, <laughs> make them rainbows. Uh, and we had a snake. So I played with the poodles, but I stayed away from the right. snake. Wise choice. Uh, and in the movie, of course, the, the elephants are all 
these you're working with green uh, uh, like a guy in a green suit who look a little bit more like a grasshopper right. than a, than an elephant and and uh and then these big uh framed kind of green aluminum uh out cutouts that are um manipulated that you look at the yeah. and then they magically draw cg in all these CGI, you know, yeah yeah yeah, I think you're absolutely right that part of the reason it's such a beloved movie is because we all have something about ourselves yeah, that absolutely. we think is the big ears. Yeah, like I, I would walk into a room like when I was a t- you know, young man or teenager, I was always the s- smallest person in the room. And I was always, I, 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 this kind of gruff kind of like sensibility about me. If I walked into a bar when I was a young man and like, a, you know, 18 years old even, I was... I was always like a, you know, like, like you know, let me have a scotch and soda. The whole right. bar would look over at what's in the corner over there, you know. It's like, so you had to deal with that, you yeah. know, like growing up. Yeah. I mean, everybody has an awkward thing that they feel. Has. So how did, you, how did you deal with well, that? Well, I then? dealt with that. I, I think, you know, after watching the movie and thinking about, it, you know, the whole idea of the kids giving... Dumbo the feather, and the feather being the kind of bridge to his his uh, ability to embrace the fact that he has magic inside of him, which we all do, you know. So my feather, I I identify as a, my choice to become an actor. See, because before that, I would not ever be as comfortable in front of strangers or front of any you know you know i was awkward at parties i was awkward you know like i mean it got by and i conquered it but i guess like in uh, in jersey what you do is you tell jokes you yeah. know you you break chops yeah. and you become like the yeah so whatever gets you into that spot where you can look at yourself and and recognize the fact that you do have a contribution to make you do have some kind of like, you know, spirit in you that you can share with people. And my, I think mine was uh, when I decided to, instead of hide from the stage, was to get on the stage. Yeah. So, so that started, so you famously, you worked at your sister's beauty salon in Jersey. Well, that right? helped too, because in the, in the beauty parlor, I had to be, my sister pushed me in front of everybody. Okay. She was like, I, when she asked me, I think I was like, I, I just got out of high school, and I wasn't going to, I was cutting grass with a gardener down in Jersey, and, and in the winter I was shoveling snow. That was my, that's what I did, and you know, every once in a while I get an odd job doing this and that, and she said, you should come to work for me in my beauty parlor. And I said, what are you, nuts? What, do I, do I look like a beautician? What am I, a hairdresser? I don't know anything about it. I like girls, but, you know. So she said, well, I'll, I'll school you this summer, and then I'll send you to the school on, in, uh, down in Asbury. There was a Wilford Academy of right. Beauty School. So all summer I dragged my feet. I didn't want to do it, and she forced me into the pin curl business. I, You know, and... Uh, you know, I would do her head, my sister, my other sister, 
my mother, my aunt, they sit me down in the sun. And I, I seriously was not, I didn't feel like I was cut out for this. But it was kind of funny in, in a way. And then, you know, and they're so like, you know, I had matriarchal, like the whole thing of the family. I was the baby boy. Like they were all 15 years older than I am, 60, my right. sisters. So when I was a teenager, they were already like, pulling me around, telling me to do things. I was like, you know, part-time brother, part-time, go get me a glass of water. You know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. You know, so uh, I did it. I went to the school. I walked up the stairs with my bag of tricks, whatever was in there, uh, rat tail comb and my... And I turned the corner, and in there were 35 young women my age, all wanting to be hairdressers. And I said, God, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> I went downstairs, immediately called my sister. Had to go to a payphone. Didn't have this little mm -hmm. cell phone. And I said, Angie, you, you, I owe you my life. It was so great. It was the best thing I ever did. I kind of broke the ice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm surprised that you ever left that yeah. business, given how well it was going for you at Well, that point. you know, it was her fault. She sent me to New York to learn how to do makeup. Ah, I said, God, you know, you, you're really pushing the envelope here, you know. I'm working now. She gave me all the, I got all the, uh, you know, the elderly clientele. Uh, she, was, she was pushing me toward, right. you know, they would like, God love them, man, you know, and I, I, I actually, I actually even did, uh, this is like the weirdest <laughs> thing. I, I had the client, the older clientele in the shop, and then when they passed away, I would actually go do their hair in the coffin. Wow. I mean, maybe that's why I like Tim so much. <laughs> so you'd go down to the funeral parlor yeah go to the do their hair. yeah mortuary yeah wow. the funeral parlor and get him ready and they would wow i didn't know that about you no i i you know it's it's not something that i talk about a lot but i'm not ashamed of it it was good of course not no, no make a buck however you can yeah. mm -hmm. so then how do you get from doing well hair she at the funeral sent me to new to york acting? to go study makeup. I couldn't find a makeup class. I come here up, you know, I found a woman who would teach me. She said, the only way I could give you my, I could teach you how to do it is if you, I'm teaching at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I'll teach you one class over there. So I had to enroll as a night student. Mm. I mean, the tangled web we weave when we try to do something that your sister tells you to do. <laughs> You know, and so I would come up every like three times a week to do this. And I would sort of pay attention to the other classes, right? But I had it, it got hooked on it. I liked it. Then I said, The hell with it. I enrolled in the day school and became an actor, and I loved it. And I abandoned my sister, she was okay about it. You, know. you had a good run though in the beauty business, pretty good run, yeah. yeah. Made a few bucks. And then, so at some point in your acting career, you decide, I'm going to move to L.A. I guess it was well, for In Cold Blood, after, right? Yeah. Is that well, I the went first to, time I out? went to In Cold, uh, the, 
That story was I read in Cold Blood in installments, I think, in The New Yorker. Yeah. And I thought I could play Perry Edward Smith, and I went out to California, saved a few bucks. I just I got out of the American Academy, I think, at the time. I did some summer stock in blah, 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 Children's Theater. Read that thing. Went out to California, 1967 or 8, and uh, tried to meet Richard Brooks. I did. The part was already cast. I stuck out there for a year and couldn't get arrested. And then I came back to New York to work. Because I think what was happening is I really wanted to act. And I was in California and there was no really way to exercise that. So mm. I came back here and I wound up working off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway. Joe Papp. You know, Shakespeare in the Park, blah, yeah. blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. If you believe in twists of fate, Danny, you came back from L.A. because it wasn't working out there. Yeah. You came back and met your wife, right? I in met her in '97. Yeah. yeah. I was doing a, a play down at the Mercury Theater, 13th and 3rd. And uh, Rhea came to, in, to visit a friend who was in the play, and that's how we met. Then that, that early 70s was great, you know, all the, you know, all the ups and downs and all the you know, auditioning and this. Actors go through it all the time. Rhea was working as a waitress. I once once in a while would get, like, if you got a job at the public theater, that was the big pay. You made $200 a week. Right. If you were off Broadway, you were making $68 a week. But the, you got to look at it in perspective because the rent was, like, right. you know, $52 right. a month. <laughs> right, you know? right. Like that. You lived in a five-floor walk up on 21st Street or something. Do you look back fondly on those It was good, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All that, all the, yeah. what they call the salad days, whatever right. they are, you know, you you got to go through all that kind of stuff because, you know, you got to, you know, you don't want to, like, you don't want to, you know, meteor to the top because you don't get the, you don't get the good stuff. You right. know, you, know, you just got to have faith, stick in there, stay to, you know, keep your eyes on whatever you want and uh, do the work and you wind up, you know, mm. you know, sometimes you, you know, you know, and then you, you know, you, you adapt, you know, in my case, I got lucky. I did Cuckoo's Nest off Broadway and then I got to do the movie and, and then I went to California after that. So 75, I think. Then Taxi came to 78. Right. Do you, do you view Cuckoo's Nest as sort of the beginning of big, your run? It was really That's a big, big deal. Big deal. It got yeah. me out of, yeah, got, uh, got me to New York, to L.A. And um, that was a great part. And, uh, and then uh, Taxi was like a gift, just came out. And that's the idea of being out there. And a lot of actors, you know, you get a job, you're doing this, you're doing a little of this, you're doing a little of that. But the thing is that you've got to get that good fortune, that lucky part that comes from out of the blue, which is what happened with Taxi. I came, that came, you know, casting director called me and said, hey, Danny, you got to go in and see this. And I, and I went and I, you know, and you, you know, and you know, you know that it's not, I mean, it's your doing, you got to be ready for it. So that's what all the other stuff is, whether it's little theater here, classes here, that, you know, street theater, anything to get, you know, comfortable with what you're doing. And then when the thing comes along, continuity, <laughs> when the thing comes along, you, uh, you know, you're ready for it and you embrace it and do it. You know? 
taxi was. Can like, you? Are, are you getting? Oh, you can. I don't it. want to ruin it. No, it's kind of nice. It's just like. No, I know you. Can, it's but, like you can hear it, but it's like. Let's talk about it, for instance. Yeah. There's a guy upstairs yeah. drilling his way to who knows what, and any minute he's going to fall through. But the idea is we're doing the interview anyway. That's can right. Do this is New York, and baby. A little flake. You got to go with the flow, man. That's right. You know, like listen, you get get some room tone later. Put it over the thing. You'll be fine. You want to do it no now? No problem, right? You want to do it now? <laughs> now the guy stops. <laughs> hey, keep going, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> we need room tone. Ten seconds of room tone. Come on, up there. baby. <laughs> oh. Ladies and gentlemen, this is called getting room tone. Pretty good. You don't know what room tone is, do you? But room tone is the. Oh yeah, no. When they, I'm talking to the camera now. Oh, Excuse oh. me. Well, pardon they me. They know like what room tone is. Yeah. You want to cut between the two, you know? Where's your camera? Right, here. right there. You, 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 you use it to smooth over the cut, see? Little filmmaking class. <laughs> Free. Okay. It was we dust off the plaster. Yeah, the yeah. Area. all right. Take a look. Um, no, I just wondered if we could hear you, because the... Man, can hear me, right? The, you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, got it. I'm loud as can be. Right <laughs> now. I'm, I'm, I'm talking over it. So, it, but in taxi, not only you get your break, but you get the lead in a show that goes on to become this. Well, you know, actually, deal. originally, ta you know, not to, you know, listen. Originally, taxi, uh, they wrote taxi. They are Louis as a voice coming over the PA oh. system, yelling at the cabbies, you know. But they also wrote the 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 part, you know, and then in that pilot episode uh they they're just you know brooks and weinberger these are the writers uh stan daniels dave davis they wrote a great show um and it was a you know it was happened to be fortunate for me one of the you know like an anchor for the for the rest of the show so that worked out you need that guy that that kind of cantankerous guy with a with a heart of brass <laughs> running the ruling the roost that was a good one it was really worked out good and man i mean that if you talk about a launching point for you coming out of yeah. there in yeah. terms of movies into romantic stone terms of endearment yeah. well you know terms of endearment was the first one because brooks wrote that jim brooks wrote that uh, i was doing taxi and and it's very at that time in the in the in in movie, in television and movies, giving you more room tone. I'm giving them more room tone that without the thing, so you get the little refrigerator. When you have, when you have a director so as your interview subject, the really idea helps. is that, you know, in those days when you did a TV show, you didn't normally jump right into movies. It was a very difficult time. I mean, I think Clint Eastwood did it, John Travolta did it. Mm. Um, uh, I can't remember in the early days, in the 70s, who else did it. There may have been a couple people before me. But then, you know, very fortunate that Brooks gave me Terms of Endearment. And then Michael came along with, uh, my, my good buddy Douglas came along with Romancing the Stone. 
And literally, that was like meant so much to my career because, um, you know, working with Nicholson and, and Charlotte McClain and Deborah Winger and Jim Brooks's first movie, it was such a great movie. And then Romancing the Stone, I think, was next. Yeah. And Michael actually put my name above the title, which is like one of the things that wow. if you think back and look in history and the way films are dealt with, you know, that's a big thing. That's sure. a huge thing for an actor. You know, I was a supporting character, but it was Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito. I mean, I was popular from Taxi and all. I give him that, and it's a marketing thing. But it, it meant a lot in the scheme of things. And then to do Jewel of the Nile after that. Right. And then, so that was the way. And then I paid him back with War of the Roses. Oh, War of the Roses. I put them in it. See. <laughs> you, I'm Surely. Yeah, War of the Roses. Come on. It's a classic. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Stick around to hear more from Danny DeVito, including what drew him to the hit show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back. More now of my Sunday sit-down conversation with Danny DeVito. I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. Great show. Yes. When that was put in front of you in 2006, I think is when mm -hmm. you started, what mm -hmm. did you think about the script? Well, what did you think about the show? Well, the thing is, uh, John Landgraf, who runs FX, FXX, FXXXX, whatever <laughs> they have, it, he and I worked together at Jersey. I had a company that I had a, a TV. I did movies, and I, I started a television company. And John took it over and ran with, ran with me in, uh, in the early days. And then... He went to FX, and he was doing this show, So Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and they had already, they shot eight episodes. And I watched the, I watched the eight episodes, and uh, we all, Maria and I and the, the kids watched them and just thought it was terrific. I, I gave them all the notes that I could about how I felt about it. And uh, the guys and the girl you know, uh, Rob and Charlie and Glenn and Caitlin. And and that was that. And then about six months later, they said, well, it, we're going to pick this show up and we're looking for somebody to be in it. Would you, would you think that you might want to join this wacky bunch? And I, I loved it. So I thought it was really great. I said, as long as the character is or organic, you know, you want it to be... You don't want it just to be Danny DeVito coming into the show. And mm. and they, they're just such good writers, so Charlie and Glenn and Rob. And they they made it, you know, all the organic as you can get. I became the father of the two 
and the most unlikely father of two, you know, tall, blonde <laughs> offspring. Of course, my wife was a whore, so it didn't matter. She uh, uh, obviously had a fling with that guy they brought in later on yeah. in the show. But all that kind of stuff was great. And I loved the idea of, you know, living in, being a guy with a lot of money who had a lot of things, mysterious things that Frank did and does. Uh, yet he wants to live in squalor with Charlie. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was like a really cool uh, angle. And now it's just become in the 13th incarnation season. We're going into 14 in the summer because I think we want to beat some other show like I can't remember the name of the show that's been on for it's coming in the 13 fall. years. No, some oh, 13 years. Oh. We're, we're going to gotcha. beat the record. We're tied now with something like, you know, Father Knows Best or Spring right. Byington's. I don't know, some kind of like old show. So we're going to do it again. We want to do it again. We all want to do it again. But now it's become more of like, let's see what we can do to Frank that is just as scathing or outrageous or, you know, how we can embarrass Frank's children the most. And I do it. And I do it. I like it. But my kids are all into it, so it's cool. Is there stuff out there, Danny, that you haven't done? You've been in this business for, I don't know, almost 50 years well, or I, so. I'm, are there still stuff on the yeah, horizon I know, I know for you? that I would do. That I'd like to do? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I I like theater. I like to go back on the stage again. I like to... I had a great time last or two years ago here with, with the Roundabout, with the Price and mm -hmm. Arthur Miller. I was in London with, uh, you know, the Sunshine Boys. That was great and did it also in L.A. I like to do... I like to get on the stage again. But things that I haven't done, you know, I'm not ever going to skydive. <laughs> I don't feel like comfortable with that, you know, things like yeah. that. But in the entertainment business, you know, no, I don't know. I just keep, you got to do stuff. That's the thing, you know, so I just keep doing stuff, whatever I like, whatever. If something comes along that I, that I think is fun and I like it, challenging, I'm going to do it. When you look at the guy who was in the beauty salon in New Jersey to today, do you think? Cool, man. He pretty lucky guy now? Pretty lo way lucky guy. No, you got to, you know, it's got to, I don't know why I'm looking up because I don't it's believe in God. But the thing is that I'm looking up at the drilling. You got to look at the drilling guy for, for graces to shine on you. <laughs> you know, something's got to be in the, in the ether, you know, that's got to be. You know, if you look around all the stuff that's going on in the world today, and uh, you, you've got to be, think about, you know, say, you know, you're really lucky that you were born in Asbury Park, New Jersey, when you were born, and all the things that have happened to you. That's good fortune. Yeah. Congratulations. On Thanks the movie. a lot, buddy. Thanks so much, Danny. Thank Appreciate you. it. My thanks again to Danny DeVito for a great conversation and for helping guide us through that construction site. You can catch his new movie, Dumbo, in theaters now.
And my thanks as always to you for tuning in this week to hear more of the full-length, unedited conversations with all of my guests. Be sure to click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And as always, don't forget to tune in to Sunday Today every weekend on NBC. I'm Willie Geist. We'll see you right back here next week on the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.